got a lot of people falling down a cover today. Oh my gosh, we do. We do. I mean, this is what happens when the apocalypse happens. Right. Who knew that Velma was so evil? She is the dastardly. The most dastardly. I mean, I don't know if we know that yet, but... I don't know, I mean, man. Pretty evil. It, it, it seems like the dialogue's leading me to believe that maybe... Well, we know she dropped nanites everywhere from the first yeah. issue. First off, that was the first thing we saw. She's sitting there in Paris. She's just giving it a good old see you later. And we know the problem with this is that Wesley Crusher is not here to solve the nanite problem. He's not. And it's very depressing. If he and was here, Wesley Crusher, we're done. I know. Right. He would crush it. <laughs> oh, my God. What? That's like a Dan joke. I know, right? But that came from you. It so came it threw from me. me off guard. It's like I'm, something I would say, and then you said it, and it messed everything up. I'm so sorry. You know, I had a, I had another one earlier today, because uh, it was um, when you're playing with tasers, the results can be electrifying. That's and, great. And uh, that also happened when I was at the shop earlier, um, playing with tasers. Dangerous people, don't do it. Yeah. Well, that's... Um, you, 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 I'm, I'm stunned right now by I, your, um, your admission, which I wasn't even trying to turn into a pun. <laughs> it was, it was, it's totally shocking me. Best start to a podcast ever right here. We're talking about tasers and stunning and electrified and puns. And we're supposed to be talking about Scooby-Doo apocalypse number two. Well, it is an electrifying issue. I guess I didn't find actually, I think most of the electricity in the issue was off because. Well, yeah, of course. But I mean, it kept me on edge like I was it kept you on edge. OK, yes. well, and that's where we're going to go. We have another cover by Jim Lee. What Whoa. is up? Beautiful, beautiful. Apparently, Jim Lee's fully committed to this concept art. We've got Giffen, Dematis, Porter, and Hi-Fi Colors again. Uh, yeah. I'm ready to go with this thing. This cover is cool. I like it. It is amazing. I, I you know, I, uh, I, okay, so <laughs> Daphne definitely looks Jim Lee, right? Yeah. <laughs> Without explaining why. Yeah. But yeah. I'm actually really impressed with the way Jim Lee drew the rest of the characters on this cover. They don't look Jim Lee. I mean, they do. It's clearly Jim Lee art. Yeah. But they're not all like 100% shredded and mm -hmm. they, they look like people. Yeah. I no. like it. I'm really impressed with this cover. I It's 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 kind of cool to, to look into it if that, you know, because it's what you're doing, right? So it's it's a neat. It's a neat way to, to see them all. I also like all the emoticons coming from Scooby that Jim Lee <laughs> had to draw all those little oh. tiny emoticons across the page. Oh that must goodness. have been really annoying. I bet it's probably like, you know, at, at one point you're like, oh, this is going to be a great idea. Let's do it. Oh, this is a bad idea. Yeah, like 16 or 17 of those bubbles later. Yeah. It's like when you tell somebody you want chain link fence everywhere. Oh, yeah, I just put them in a chain link fence area. And then they're like, they, they call you and they're like, chain link fence is a very bad idea. Don't. That's what Zipitone's for. I learned about Zipitone. <laughs> if, if, if your artist is doing that, yeah. Yeah. Or it, I guess you'd have to be on paper for that, not the computer, too. That, that would be. Yeah. I, I learned more about Zipitone. I read a pretty cool book. Sweet. By, uh, edited by Paul Kupperberg. Ah. That collects a whole bunch of interviews yeah. that he had found on a floppy disk. 
uh, that were done in the late 80s, most of them, Uh uh, for some of the direct currents and some of the DC interviews. So those interviews you'd read in the pamphlet that was at the comic store or in the back of the book, Uh but he had the full transcripts of them. Oh my gosh. So not the cut down versions. So he did not, wasn't able to save all of them. He found uh, several of them, but we'll be citing that book tonight. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Very fun. I, you know, I, it's like 190 pages and I read it in like two days because I'm Dan and it was cool. Well, it just was interesting. Yeah. No, sometimes you, you get, you find something like that and you just jump in and you can't help yourself. One, they're fun too. Cause they're all like, you know, between like five and, and 15 pages, right? Mm-hmm. So you're getting this kind of fun short history from the person. Of course, yeah. they all the history ends in like 1989, but I thought Kupperberg did a really good job uh, putting a little, he puts a little paragraph right for each person. So mm-hmm. if they did a lot of stuff post when this interview happened, like there was like a four page <laughs> interview with Adam Hughes. Yeah. And I thought that was hilarious because I was like, what had Adam Hughes done to that point? <laughs> And you're like, oh, a lot. Oh, he done a little bit. Yeah, but obviously most of Adam Hughes was mm-hmm. after. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. After 1990. I, I, I don't think Adam Hughes was nearly as... Adam Hughes Reverend. wasn't Adam Hughes yet. He wasn't quite... He hadn't arrived. Yeah, he had arrived, but he hadn't arrived. He was not Adam Hughes. Mm-hmm. Reviewed yes. artist of everything that draws covers for all things. <laughs> all things. Everything. So... Let's get into this issue. Yeah, I, let's I, do it. It was fun. This, yeah. this series continues to be fun, and I need fun in my life. I so know. It, this is, I, this is the definitely fun. the right choice. All right. Let's, let's talk let's, about not fun, the Brian Hitch, Tony S. Daniel Justice League no. from Rebirth. Okay, moving <laughs> forward. Alt cover. Yay. I love this one. Yeah. It's almost like the artist of the book draws the alt covers in this because the alt covers all refer to what's actually happening in the story. Yeah, yeah. You're like, Maybe what? I should have bought all the alt covers when I bought these. No, I think that would have been tough because like, I mean, I know when I was looking for these books in the wild, it was hard to find them in places. <laughs> like I would go to three comic book shops and try to hunt them down. Well, you should just ask me. I could have given you all of my books. I know you could have, but that's, you know, I like the hunt. As Fair. you know, you've been you with me just, going to comic book shops. You could just hunt go- by asking me first. I, it's true. It's true. But well, we know. are somewhere between beneath the Nevada desert. Um, oh my! Is Burning Man in Nevada? I thought Burning Man was in. Um. Well, it's uh, it, as we find in the like later. It's not technically that, but yeah, it's um, it's in the desert. It's California. Okay. But it's in the desert, so it's in the desert. I, I kind of imagine this being in Pahrump, Nevada, underneath like uh, God. Uh, I guess he's dead, Art Bell. Oh, <laughs> That's Art such Bell. a nice way to introduce somebody. Yeah, this is. I feel like this is like underneath Art Bell's studio. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> but he's dead. I feel like Art Bell would have been talking about this. He would have been talking about it, and then all of a sudden, like mall people, <laughs> and nobody would have listened. Yeah, and nobody would have been listening. Like Art they, Bell would have been interviewing. I, I work. He, I, what? Let's create the name of the person you would have interviewed. So it would have been like um, Dilapidus Fink. Okay. And Dilapidus Fink would have come onto Art Bell and been like, "I was working in an underground lab in Nevada, and I saw everything. There were nanites and government <laughs> conspiracies and people trying to pacify the world." And Art Bell would be like, "Yes, tell us more about that." And they would do a whole radio show about this, and mm-hmm. no one would listen. I don't I don't know if that's true or not. I think my dad listened to 
<laughs> well, I listened to Art Bell, but it, for pure entertainment value, I mean, what one, uh, of course, I sleep now, but when I was younger, you know, I didn't sleep at night, right? So, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'd go to bed at what, like four, five in the morning often. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. uh, that was good for working on debate, not so good yeah. for early morning classes. True, true. And But it was great for Art Bell listening. Oh, and yeah. I used yeah. to get, is it KSFO? I think that's what it was Yeah, from San Francisco. Yeah. yeah the, the high power AM radio station, mm-hmm. Art Bell wasn't actually on in the Pacific Northwest, but I used to on my transistor AM radio, pick up KSFO and listen to Art Bell broadcast uh-huh. at night. And uh, this book is so Art Bell. Oh, very. Yeah, no, I, it, it would have been something that I'm pretty sure if my, if my dad was still alive, he would have been like, Oh my God, this book, have you read this book? This book is so good. It reminds me of an Art Bell conversation. <laughs> this, this book's outstanding. Yeah. Well, let me quit uh, glowing about the book and get us started in here. So we've got a nice six panel grid. Oh, yeah. And we have a this book's tons of dialogue. So, we're, so I'm not, not going to try to go through all the dialogue. You're not going to hit every single point. Nah, <laughs> just the high uh, points. We're, we're not going to read this. But I think some of the fun pieces to start out. Uh, we get a we get a fun Scooby scene. We hear them talking behind a door, and mm-hmm. then the the gang peeks out behind the door from behind the door. Yeah, and I think that's a great start because you know in the last uh, issue they were down in that safe zone mm-hmm. and they saw everything going wrong above, and so now they're trying to get out there and sneak around like yeah. a good Scooby episode and oh, yeah. see what's going on. And we've got this hallway mm-hmm. beautifully drawn by Howard Porter and. And then we start getting them peeking out and they're all scared and they're trembling. It reminds me of the cartoon a lot. Oh, uh, totally. Even with the different character faces, they still mm-hmm. have that reaction. Yep. And that gets us to the next splash page uh, where so we good. get Scooby Apocalypse. Apocalypse right now. Keith get, Giffen plot and breakdowns. Uh, J.M. DeMatteis dialogue and more dialogue. Howard Porter pencils and inks. So doing it all. High fives on color. Uh, Nick Knapps on letters and Jim Lee and Alex Sinclair did the main cover. Oh, and it was not Porter on the variant cover. It was Carlos yeah. uh, DeAnda and Brittany Holzer is the assistant editor and Marie Javins editor. So, and of course, based on a concept by Jim Lee, we don't want to forget that, which is probably why it got published because Jim Lee had a little bit of influence at this time over DC Comics or something. Just a little bit. Just a, just a, li- just, just a little bit. Maybe just not so a- much now, but a lot then. Yeah. There's been a few shakeups since 2016. Yeah. I don't know. You might have heard something happened since 2016. Like everybody was infected and turned into mutants. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's well, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about right now in the book. So now there's a big fight on this main cover, uh, the fight over the mindless, obedient slaves and Daphne. And we get the we get Daphne. We're going to get a lot of this, I think, throughout yeah. the series. But at least initially, we got Velma and Daphne going. At it. Oh, yeah, they're they're not friends. <laughs> and Daphne's probably justified in this. Uh, I think if you thought that this person that just met you uh Try destroyed the world. I I think it, it's fair to say that you you might go after them a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. It it she she. I would say Daphne's like totally wanting to throw a punch Velma right now, <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. Can I also say Howard Porter draws dogs very well, and that's maybe why Howard Porter got this job. Yeah, no, his drawing of dogs is very good. Scooby is outstanding. I very. just. Every time I see Scooby in this book, it's makes you it's happy. Scooby, but it's like an actual dog. Yeah, right? it's not. It's not the cartoon dog we saw on the cartoon. It's definitely a dog. Mm-hmm. It's a dog but, you would see down the street. 
expressive. He he makes Scooby so very expressive. Okay, oh. next page. I don't yes. want to like glow over Scooby for an hour, but I will. <laughs> but you you could. So again, we've got some great dialogue here everywhere, mm-hmm. and we have got a fight. So oh. it's on. Daphne is doubting Velma. Everything uh, Velma is saying, a very very expressive, and yeah. this is where we start to see sort of some societal breakdown pieces too. Oh. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you got a small, small enclave of people who don't know each other. They don't trust each other. And they're they're thrown into a situation that they have to, but they still don't, obviously, for all these reasons. And they're just going to continue to try to either fight or figure it out. <laughs> and, and the first real fight is the between Velma's motivation for choosing Daphne. So Velma takes after goes after Daphne for leaving the Washington Post and mm. doing this junky TV show. And I believe it's that moronic television show. Yeah. And they start really getting into the motivation of like why she would choose her. And of course, Velma in the next couple of pages is making sure that, you know, hey, I chose you because I know you're a quality journalist. And and Daphne's like, yeah, but I have to make money. Mm-hmm. And so they get into it. I also want to do things that were fun, right? Like, so now we get this sort of scientist highbrow versus this, you know, person that doesn't necessarily want to do highbrow journalism. I found this to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And Fred is just not smart in this so far. Yeah, he's like, just... He's afraid to get sent to Guantanamo. Yeah. <laughs> he's very well. They, s- they see a guy in a corner and he's just facing the corner and uh, Velma kind of freaks out. Uh, she goes to see her buddy, Eric, who's standing there. He must wear a trench coat. So mm-hmm. Eric was every or is that a lab coat? That might be a lab, I think coat. It's a lab coat. OK, I thought it was a trench coat for a minute. I thought he was every early 1990s high school debater. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's not. He's he's every lab worker. He's every lab worker, which makes sense because it's a lab. And we get to the next page and all of a sudden, Eric doesn't really have a face. He has like a teeth with a black hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a it's just a just a toothy grin, if you will. It and is. we get a jinkies from yeah. Velma for the first time here. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of jinkies, 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 jinkies. <laughs> Velma's, Velma's gone, right? Velma's out of here. I, I think if a giant black hole teeth monster came after me, I'd probably run away too. Yeah, no, I'd be out. <laughs> and so now we get our first fight and uh because the monster killer uh, scooby's still very protective of velma so oh, yeah carrying over from the first issue and scooby not in his and his finest moment as a hero here but jumps right on the monster and then uh looks on the monster and pees on him <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Shaggy's like, hey, that's gross. But uh, yeah, under the circumstances, totally understandable, which is one of my (laughs) favorite lines from the book. Totally. (laughs) I mean, when when you're faced with when you're faced with a faceless monster, just with a with a big old ma, what do you do? You pee in it. (laughs) I love the expressiveness that Porter draws Scooby with, too, because we get (laughs) so you get the emoticons. Yeah, you get a poop emoticon like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. Uh, but also the expressiveness of the, the face. In fact, and, and I guess this might be a criticism. So okay, I I'll, I I don't want to glow over the book the whole time. Uh, when I look at the art, Scooby is so expressive that I ignore the emoticons. Yeah, because you're like, oh hey, he's he's 
doing all these things. But then when you do look at the emoticons, you pick up these little like kind of Easter egg nuggets. Like oh. exactly. But when I'm reading the story, I don't look at the emoticons because yeah. Porter draws Scooby so expressive that I so don't expressive. need the emoticons. Right. Like the emotions are there. So like the emoticons were that gimmick with the, the four. It's almost like the emoticons are for the people in the story, not for me. Right, right. It's it's for them, not for you. Which is fine. I mean, that's kind of a cool effect. I still <laughs> like the effect. It's a neat thing. Definitely. Well, now we get to the next page and we got folks running away from the story. Uh, we got uh, we got them running away from monsters as we yeah. do in any Scooby Doo adventure. Uh huh. Got to get away. And Daphne starting to grill. Daphne and now Shaggy are starting to grill Velma on what these folks are and uh, or what's happened to these folks. Oh, yeah. What is going on? And now the mutants start fighting, and you're very familiar with mutants for oh, you know yeah. Yeah. So mutants, mutants, man, they're, they, they just, they're, you got to remember they got, they're, they're humans inside, right? They're just different. Sure. And until they eat each other. Well, yeah, but they're hungry and they're just, you know, acting out in raw, like base emotions. And so now we get uh, them kind of arguing again, but we're getting into discovery. I would say this is kind of the discovery phase of the story. Yeah. And they start talking about Eric Kramer, the person that became the mutant, and they start mm-hmm. fighting. Uh, we get to the next page, and Daphne sort of like just attacking Fred and and kind of belittling him for holding a, <laughs> uh, a uh, fire extinguisher. It's like, uh, but it's a fire extinguisher. And the tensions are really building. And I think I, a couple of the other threads that are kind of throwing through here, we get the tension between Fred and Daphne, uh, and Daphne kind of starting to break down. Uh, we get the continued uh, fight between Shaggy and Velma. It, mm-hmm. Velma keeps trying to maintain this sort of air of authority by calling him uh, Norville. And Shaggy's resistant, like, my name's not Norville, I'm Shaggy. And she's like, I'm your boss. And he's like, really? You know, at this point, <laughs> it didn't really challenge yeah. it, right? So she's still trying to maintain that sort of structure. And that all starts to break down as they look at a monitor and they see an entire facility full of mutants uh, with dead humans. Yeah, I guess they're all humans, but dead, dead, dead folks that did not become mutants being eaten by the mutants. So mm-hmm. it's a interesting scene. It's a, and we're starting to get classes of these mutants, too. It's like going to the worst sizzler ever. Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a bad salad bar. It's an interesting salad. Well, I guess some of them are salad and, and some of them or are steak not. And all you yeah. can eat shrimp. That's fair. <laughs> Would be an interesting. And then we get another scene where they're just chowing down on some humans. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of Zoinks and Jinkies and uh, Daphne's making fun of that. Uh, Zoinks, is, is that anything like Jinkies? I, again, <laughs> I mean, uh, David Teus is really good at dialogue, so it's fun. Yeah. Is if you've done it this long and you're working with a partner like we talked about that he's worked with before. Yeah, they can they can bounce these things and, and, and make that flow work. So we get into this and we find out that since they were in the safe zone, they weren't affected by the transformation for whatever reason. So uh, I guess I'm I guess when everybody leaves the safe zone, they don't transform. I guess Velma would not have transformed, right? No, she was outside. She exposed herself to the nanites too, right? We saw her dumping them in the first issue. So everybody yeah. should have transformed well, theoretically. I think if you weren't outside when the, uh, when the transit, like she says that like this code has to be input 
And yeah. once that code happens, then that's when the transformation begins. So if you're in the safe zone, my belief is if you're in the safe zone and the code goes off and the nanobytes get told to do their thing, uh, then they transform everything that's not in the safe zone. If you're in the safe zone, it's like a Faraday cage. You don't get the no reception. Well, so now the team gets some guns. Uh, so Velman is where all the guns are because, of yeah. course, there are guns in the facility because mm-hmm. all mad scientists facility have to have big racks full of guns that right. you can press a button on a wall and they open up. I mean, it's that's, very Night of the Comet. You know, you yes. got the, the, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so Night of the Comet. They got their yeah, guns <laughs> or lower decks. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all those weapons hidden everywhere on the ship. There you go. Well, we get uh, we get another scene. Uh, they get guns and they they kind of take a breath to start planning out their next steps and kind of more discussion about what's happening. And we they talk about we still get these comments, right? Like, oh yeah, the jabs, um, yeah, the jabs. And you know, Daphne's like, hey, you know, I'll explore your face with my fist. And Velma's like, no need to act like a common thug. And we're still getting this sort of dialogue right back and forth where Velma's sort of trying to hold on to this like structured reality that's mm-hmm. no longer there. I mean, it's just clearly no longer there, which is interesting because Velma knows more about the experiment than anybody, but is the the most resistant to, you know, acting on it, right? Mm-hmm. I, this, okay, this is where I'm going to say, I'm not, I'm going to reference something else that I've, uh, watched for pure entertainment and, and uh the the way that this is done versus a, another another thing uh the way that the breakdown happens in this and with the discussion and stuff like that it this seems more realistic even even it even though it's in comic and pages and stuff like that with this type of discussion i mean we've all been in stressful situations with people and had these types of breakdowns and stuff like that i've seen uh forced stuff in in certain tv shows uh where you've got uh people put in these situations lost did a pretty good job in it but i'm watching the show la brea and purely just for because i i, I want to know if my if what i think is going to happen is going to happen by this one episode and i'm watching the breakdown on on certain things and it is odd <laughs> that's the best way I could describe it. It just feels odd. This does not feel odd. So, um, and they have a lot more time on their clock <laughs> to do that on versus this in a comic book where it's pages. I mean, like, you know, in, in panels. So. Well, and I think that brings a, you know, you bring up an important point. And so I grabbed the book to ta- uh, read from, uh, Keith Giffen himself mm-hmm. on how Keith Giffen does these layouts. Yeah. And Keith's, and this is why I think the team works together and why you get such realistic dialogue when the two work together. So uh, Keith Giffen says, I plot a little differently than most people and that I don't write up a plot, type out anything out. I cannot type. I do not like machines. I don't have a <laughs> computer in my house. I draw it up like a little comic book, a uh, little thumbnail sketches. Writer Mike Barron does it like that. Harvey Kutzman, it dates back. Uh, way back to Harvey Kutzman, who used to do it on his EC war books. It's not that I think I'm such a great storyteller that people should follow my breakdowns. It's just that this way, I know that the information I want to get across will fit on that page. It's just easier for me to see. I do get a kick out of it. I like plotting what I call <laughs> seat of the pants plotting, which is where you just plunge on in and there you see where the story goes. Mm-hmm. 
uh, the two Justice League books reflect that. So leaving that, and I think this is very reflexive of when you get into the partnership too. And of course, in the Justice League books, he was partnered with J.M. DeMatteis. So mm-hmm. he's laying out the pages. And I know when you've been talking to me about layouts, you do it the opposite way, right? Like you have a script mm-hmm. and then you lay out the pages based on the script, whereas he's laying out the pages, getting the visual representation of where he wants people to be. And then DeMatteis is writing the scripting into where Giffen imagined the people would be, which I think gives them that room to have that realistic dialogue because Giffen can lay out a pause point like this. Yeah. And then we immediately can flip to the next page and there's Becky attacking everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely like can see where that type of the way that he does that makes it work in that way. And I, I'm going to kind of like, I guess, shed some light. Travis and I've tried to do that a bit uh, with the last issue of Starlight because it were, it worked. It works. It works sometimes. Like we give Brett the, the, the rough, like this is all the stuff that we're doing. We want it to look like this. And then we go back through and we, we have the dialogue kind of already there. We already know what it's going to be like, but then we kind of trash it. <laughs> so to fit. And this would almost be like, I mean, it's it's kind of, a, I guess we'll call it a modified Marvel method, right? So if mm-hmm. Giffen's doing the uh, the breakdowns, right, and the mm-hmm. plot, and then Porter's probably drawing this, right? Mm-hmm. And then Demetrius is probably writing the dialogue, maybe wrote it on the side, right? But writing the dialogue into um, the, the, the visuals, right? Which yeah. is the same thing. Um, Stan Lee used to do with Kirby, except oh, yeah. he'd have Kirby plotted. So Kirby would do both, right? Mm-hmm. Kirby would plot it and draw it and then uh lee would write in the dialogue so yeah it's a yeah i think it feels similar to that too but i, I think it's neat uh, to get into uh giffen too as an artist because you know keith giffen started um i mean he's, he's a storyteller right like yeah. uh, i will say too so much of reading in this book i get the insight of how people consider themselves to be storytellers which makes sense right hey mm-hmm. maybe my art was my first thing that broke me in, or maybe my writing was my thing that broke me in, but ultimately I'm a storyteller and I can do it all. And that's what I like to do. So whether I'm collaborating with somebody else or I'm doing it by myself, I am a storyteller and I have admittedly. Okay. So I I don't want to get too much into Keith Giffen here, but I have seen this work really well with this plotter. Right. But then uh, on the, you know, I liked it, but on, there was a same book he was doing around this time. Uh, the Legion, or not uh, the, the Scooby book, but around the Justice League books, the Legion yeah. of Superheroes, that five-year gap, Legion mm-hmm. of Superheroes, Dark Stories. Well, Keith Giffen was drawing it, right? So he was plotting it and penciling it. And then the scripters that were with him, who I won't say right now, because we'll probably cover it someday and I'll get to talk about their strengths and weaknesses, but maybe weren't as good at DeMatteis at, at doing this. Uh-huh. And so sometimes a lot of plot threads fell flat or the story didn't seem to move along as well. So I can see where you, you know, you have to have a good partner to make this yeah. work. Otherwise it's, it's going to be bad. And and this is another book where I'm reading it and I'm not looking at the clock. I'm just enjoying the book. Yeah. Enjoying the book. Definitely. Cause you're, it, you're, you're thoroughly enjoying the, the dialogue, the art, everything. And sometimes you're going back and rereading a page because you're like, Oh, wow, I just want to, I, I read all the dialogue. I want to go back and enjoy the art or I just looked at all the art and I want to go back and reread a couple of those things to make sure that I, I 
picked up everything that I did. I know that that's what I did yet. Like the other day when I was reading this, like I keep saying yesterday, I, but like, you know, when I was, when I was reading this, I, I, I just kept going back because I was like, Oh man, I, you know, it's, it's so enjoyable. Well, and comics are a visual medium, and I think, I, I don't know, we, we've spent some time talking about this, but the approach of doing the breakdowns first, right, mm-hmm. with the plot and breakdowns, allows it allows the visual medium to drive the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, a, again, it's a comic book, so I say interesting approach, but the approach makes sense. It's just not everybody does it this way because and it's OK. People can do it, you know, whatever works best that, for them. Obviously, I'm not going to do it this way if I'm writing because mm-hmm. I would I, I would I shouldn't say I couldn't do it this way. I probably could, <laughs> but I don't think for me it would be the best method because my plot breakdowns would be a nightmare because I have <laughs> you know, the visual talent of like a slug. Right. Yeah. But so, some people, people do. Some people are spiral. Um like they they spiral into the story, right? Yeah, let's so, not bring up spiral again, no, please. No, no, no. But they, I, I know as soon as I said it, I, I was like, oh no. But they spiral into the story when they're when they're telling the story, and they get there uh, while they're while they're working it out through all those different things, and then it, it all kind of unfolds. And some people need a definitive linear storytelling process, and they break it out that way. Yeah, so, and I, it, it's interesting. Because yeah, and we've had any, anyway, we just, we've had different approaches to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting because when we were looking at that Harlan Ellison script on that mm-hmm. city on the edge of forever episode, we did yeah. uh, back, I get I should know the episode number off the top of my head, but I don't, uh, but Harlan Ellison wrote that giant script, right. And expected it all to fit into one television show and got mad when they cut it down. So oh, yeah. the danger of doing it that other way too, where you just, you know, you go word crazy and you write out a script. Yeah. It may have been a great script, but it was like a three hour movie. And they got had to get it into a 50 minute television episode. Right. <laughs> and then he was mad. Right. It was well, you didn't you didn't do my script justice. And it's like, well, yeah. And so uh, I think one of the advantages. Novel. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the advantages of this is, you know, uh, by the time it gets to, to John Mark, he knows exactly where the dialogue's going to go. Mm-hmm. There's no question. So he can fill in and then it looks like you know there's a lot of word bubbles here so when he john mark wants more dialogue he puts it there yep yep so there we go and uh so becky attacks oh becky attacks and uh it's uh it knocks fred out perfect uh goes after shaggy so becky is not a big fan of the of the guys here and then gets knocked out pistol whipped i guess by by velmo which yeah. is interesting and then throws but i do like this too here's one of the fun things about these breakdowns in the art velma pistol whips becky and it gets tossed away because velma's a tiny little person mm-hmm. tiny and that I makes ha- sense yeah i'm gonna say and i love i love that this whole entire like there's there's like one dialogue bubble on this page one sound effect Yep. Everything else is pure action and it is, it, it is so intense. Yep. All the way like from panel two to panel six, the like intensity the, just builds. The consistency of the character outfits to uh, one, obviously Scooby defends Velma again. So yep. consistent storytelling in mm-hmm. the breakdowns. And then we get, 
I love the end where you just see the green gloved hand. So we automatically know that's Daphne. Yeah. So there's no uh, distinguishing in and there. It, and but it, and as soon as I saw that when I when I got to that panel, I was like the chill, right? Of like, yeah. oh man, dude, she just went like the the switch flipped in her, and she's like, boom, I'm no longer the the journalist that you think that you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm now an embedded journalist. <laughs> yeah, and we are, and then. And then we get the next page where she shoots Becky through the throat, saves Scooby. And this is the first time when we're getting decisions made between who lives and who dies. Mm -hmm. And everybody is kind of like, whoa, what did you just do? Yeah. And Shaggy immediately goes off. That was my coworker. You killed her. Fred's just looking and finally speaks up and says that wasn't her. And of course, says the wrong thing at the wrong time, like he always has in these stories. And then Daphne just starts ripping into Fred. Yeah. And then we get a next page and then all of a sudden Velma pops up like you had no choice, kind of saying the same thing. And Daphne does punch Velma at that point and <laughs> knocks off her glasses. And we get the star. I, I love to how Porter uh, rotates between the realism and the cartoon nature of the story. Cause we get the stars. Right. Yeah. And it's so smart because it was a cartoon. Yeah. But we get better faces, more realistic faces in the mm-hmm. sense like Shaggy has wrinkles and, you know, has lived a life, right? Yeah. And a little sunbaked. <laughs> yeah. A little sunbaked. I like your choice of words there. <laughs> uh, he's crispy. And uh, it's, yeah, I wonder what he's going to find. Well, anyway, I wonder if they'll get out of the story later. And have to find something to cope with this world. And so we get it's it's just I've got a quick glowing over it and just uh, here. The bad part is I'm just like, this is great storytelling, but it is great storytelling. Yeah. And I love the consistency of these six panel layouts, too. Yeah, we get some four panel layouts, but there's a lot of six panel layouts. And then when we do get an action scene, like when Becky appeared, mm-hmm. he just transforms those top four panels into one splash. And then you still get the two at the bottom. Boom. Yeah. So there's a lot of consistency here. And then I like when the panel layouts change, that means something important's happening. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean important stuff's not happening on the other pages, but he's able to continue to flow through the story. And a lot of this, of course, has to be the cooperation between uh, Keith Giffen and, and Howard Porter, right? Because Keith Giffen is doing the breakdowns and then Porter is doing the art. So either choosing or not choosing to stick to those breakdowns, right? Right. Oof. Well, now we advance the story. They decide to go through a shaft because that's what you do when you're trapped in a mad scientist building. You run right? out through a shaft because yeah. that's what happens in every science fiction story ever. You always got to get out through the air vents. That's the yep. way. It's the only way. And of course, you have to have a big baddie that encourages you to go to the air vents. So there's Fred mm-hmm. uh, shooting up the big baddie after he got beat up a little bit. And uh, Fred's not doing so well, but they're all headed out the shafts and they get to a point and they see lots of mutants outside and Mm -hmm. it's not okay. No, not okay. (laughs) And then uh, my favorite. So we get to Velma and talked about not to worry. I have an idactic memory. And (laughs) this is (laughs) I call it idiotic memory because I have somebody my roommate actually keeps always reminds me that he has an idactic memory and <laughs> I just call it an idiotic memory. 
it drives me nuts because my roommate can memorize like every film he watches. So I misquote films all the time. Like I'm just goofing around. I can I can't memorize lines at all. Yeah, uh, that's been one of my weaknesses. I when I act, I turn the character into me. Mm-hmm. And he can memorize everything. And so it drives me nuts. <laughs> but he, this he is uh, one of those things here mm-hmm. uh, where she's reminding them, hey, I called you. I know what's going on. But we're starting to get the stark realization where there's a great deal of fear in Velma. And I think it's sinking in now, not just the fear of having a one off, but the fear of the her world is collapsing. Right. And we're finally getting oh, that yeah. look. Yeah. Like things are not right. And And the last character to come around, I mean, I guess Scooby would technically be the last character to come around because he's still protecting Velma, Mm -hmm. right? And still he's up front protecting Velma, even in the next picture where they get to see Krebs' experimental vehicle. Yeah. That just happens to be called the mystery machine. Because it's a mystery and it's a machine. Yeah, which makes sense. But it's definitely, and it does have a happy face sticker on it. So Mm -hmm. at least we get a little bit. It's a very different mystery machine. (laughs) <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's like a it's like a armored vehicle, basically. Big it's like a surplus vehicle. military vehicle. <laughs> yeah, that he's been working on. And then we find Krebs, which it didn't go well for Krebs. No, it's not. So now they are coming to the fact with they're stealing Dr. Krebs's vehicle. Um, and now we get some more humanizing pieces by Shaggy, whereas Velma sort of except with the exception of the one person that she seemed to maybe be in love with at the beginning of the story that she ran away from. Uh, now we get Shaggy telling the story of another coworker who just got back from sick leave and got a pacemaker to save his life and is now dead. So we get more of that. Uh, Fred's like, Hey y'all, it's nice that we're having this conversation, but maybe we should uh, mourn the Fred w- friend when we get in the van and we're getting away from people. Yeah. And they look up and there are these, I don't know, what are these kind of bat creatures? Maybe I don't see wings. They are something and they look, they look scary. Raptor creatures. Yeah. Raptor creatures. And uh, as we head out of issue two and we start to put a wrap on this one. um, Yeah. Jeepers, jinkies, zoinks, rut row. And uh, they're saying we're only dying. Kill them all. So we leave off on issue two. Will they make it to the mystery machine in time? Will what will happen? We don't know know because it's the end of issue two, but we're going to find out on the next episode of Funny Book Forensics. But before we say anything about that, your closing thoughts on this one. I know we we stopped in the middle and we did a lot of the closing thoughts in the middle with the Keith Giffen quote. My my closing thoughts, like, honestly, it was like I, I joked earlier about it being electrifying, but it really was. It was fast paced, moving like a like a roller coaster episode of so much going on, like the intensity and the, uh, the feeling of they did such a good job in making you want to make sure or like wanting the characters to get out of, from that door that they were in down that hall and get to safety. And they do such a good job at getting them from point A to point B, but they're, not really safe right so it, it it's it leaves you with a pit in your gut and i and i'm like oh my gosh it's such a good such a good issue but they did such a great job with their storytelling uh again the art like i i i literally probably read this this book twice to you know prior to go through everything and and just like pick it all up yeah and it's fun 
Uh, yeah. I'll just say that one more time. It's fun. It's a fun book. And sometimes books should be fun. Yeah, they should be fun. They should be enjoyable and it should make you think like, oh, okay, cool. This is like, they're like, whatever is going on in my world is not even comparable to what's going on for the, 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 the Scooby-Doo crew. Cause they are definitely not living a life of Riley right now. It's also interesting too. I think there's a balance here. I've, I've read a lot of criticisms of modern books, uh, mm-hmm. modern age books where there's a lot of art and action, but very little dialogue that advances the story. Like you would, you would do something like this, you know, and it would take, you know, four issues, you know, to uh-huh. do what was done here. And I think this shows how you can have a nice balance of action and good scripted dialogue to advance characters, develop them and make you care about them. Oh yeah. You care about them and you also understand kind of a little bit of not all of their motivations and all of their kind of idiosyncrasies, but you definitely get an idea of some of them and what makes them who they are uh, a little bit more so than what you did prior. And even if you had a, an idea of what these characters were based off of the cartoon, they're different characters, right? So you have to go into it with those, those fresh eyes and they did such a great job in this issue and kind of laying it up for you. And, you know, Shaggy obviously is very, um, uh, like he's a, he's kind of like an empath, right? And he, he cares. He's very caring about all the different stuff, but he's also, um, you know, he, he definitely doesn't want to be, um, told what to do. (laughs) Yes. Poor Fred. Fred's just Fred though. (laughs) Well, Fred is Fred. Uh, because he's, he's special. We'll find out more about Fred later. I'm sure. What do you think, Dan? What, what, uh, what, I mean, like, I know you gushed a lot during the book, but a lot of, uh, during, during the, the podcast, but I mean, like what, uh, what was your favorite, favorite thing? Of this, my yeah, favorite thing, of this issue. Uh, my favorite thing is the, I, I think I gushed about it a lot, but my favorite thing was the slow realization of Velma coming to grips with the world that's around her to building to that last page mm. where she's in says jinkies. Yeah. Again, right. So we got jinkies at the beginning, uh-huh. but it's just sort of that like sink in. Yeah. And I like how Porter almost like draws her face up. Uh-huh. Like there's no expression like a uh, ghostly and she's not ghostly white, but it's yeah. that you, expressionless face at the end. Yeah. And I like the build there because everybody else realizes what's going on except her. Like she knows what's going on. Like she's getting guns, things like that. But there's mm-hmm. not that that stark realization that her reality is completely changed. And now yeah. by the end of the story, you can tell by the character that it's there. Yeah. And like, I love that build in the story because she's yeah, she's she's got a different perception as to what this reality is supposed to be like and it is not that yeah or what and, reality play is on, to be like. and of course we get a play on words for the last for the title of the next book story terror incognita instead of terra incognita which is uh-huh. a lot of fun yes i like it i'm excited i can't wait till we cover the next one well you just have to wait well, hopefully if I post these the way I'm supposed to one week and you can learn more about issue three. So Ooh. we are all in on Scooby for a bit. So 
probably do a few issues of this until we get bored of it, or mostly you won't get bored of it, but until I get bored of it and want to talk about something else. Because I'm not going to get bored of this. How can I get bored of this? Well, I'm not going to get bored of the story, but I may want to throw some things in there. So we'll keep uh. Scooby out as a thread, but sometimes, you know, I might want to just talk with you about something else once in a while. I too. suppose. It can happen. Uh, we can talk about other things and still keep talking about Scooby. Some other comic book might come up that we have to discuss. Yeah, like Starlight. No, not Starlight. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. I, I, maybe I should read issue three. You should read issue three. But I'm still in protest. Uh, why? Because of the, the cover you didn't get? The, I I will talk to Travis and I will tell him, send Dan the, the, the book. Yeah, I'm not going to read it until I have all my covers. Which which one didn't you get? The alt. The alt cover? Yeah. The, um, which alt cover? I'll have to look at my Kickstarter. Oh my gosh. And I'll let you know. You let me know. And I'll tell that Travis. Damn you, Travis. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it happens. Fist. Well, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> it won't be Starlight you're saying, but yeah, I do need to read issue three. And on that note, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but I think we probably should put a wrap on this one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, why not? We, I think we did a fun. I had a fun time talking about the book with you today. And Me too. Put a wrap on this and uh, get on next time. Well, we'll probably do issue three next time. Issue three, it is. All right, till next time. All right, thanks for listening to another episode of Funny Book Forensics. <laughs> <laughs>